Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the audio-only version of the No Rolls Barred uh, show. Um, we, This is your podcast for this month's one-shot set in the world of Victorian horror. I am Adam, joined as ever uh, by the, uh, the head booker for CBW, Tom. Hello, Tom. Hello, everybody. Yeah. So, uh, as uh, as I said before, at the top of this, uh, this episode, this one shot, as voted for by you, uh, our wonderful patrons over at patreon.com forward slash no rolls bard, is Victorian horror. And uh, we are very excited to talk about it. So come uh, listen, keep listening after the episode is over and we'll be discussing how we thought the episode went. But we're going to drop you into that world right now. Enjoy part one. Hello and welcome back to CBW, where the big boys are big boos. I'm Tom, dread of creative here at CBW, and these are our players. Hello, I am Luke Owen, and I am playing Robert Scrood, the veteran class. Hello, uh, my name's Lolo, and I'll be playing uh, Demonique, and um, I am the addict. Hi, I'm Laurie. I'm playing uh, the Raven, and I'm the Iconoclast. Hey up! I'm Invisible Man Helsing, and I'm also the Iconoclast. Hi, I'm Ollie Davis, and I'm playing a babyface high flyer, Richard Thunder. Right, let's do a fight. Beneath the choking smoke and smog of industry, behind the heavy doors of daily drudgery, Toil the weary workers of a city whose heart is as black and bleak as the coal that feeds its Faustian furnaces. Out on the streets amidst the cacophonous clamour of crowded cobblestones, the call of capitalism keeps cash flowing from purse to person to purse in a perpetual pirouette of need and greed. Safely sequestered from the stain and stink of hard graft and hustle, barons of business reap the benefits of a booming metropolis built on the backs of the beggared and beleaguered. But be they penniless pauper or prosperous plutocrat, 
all mortal men hunger for something beyond what they can harvest from the humdrum world they inhabit. A primal battleground where social status shrinks beneath the strength of one's beliefs and class crumbles under the power of one's desires. In the borough of Grapplington, under the auspices of muscle magnate Quincy Cavendish, Her Majesty's mightiest meet in the ring as the municipal masses applaud in awe. Recent months, however, have seen a sudden shift to more supernatural struggles as Albion's gravest ghouls grapple and gore each other in a spooky and salacious spectacle of penny-dreadful proportions, right here at CBW. Welcome to Cruel Britannia Wrestling. Come on now, please. Welcome, everyone, to Cruel Britannia Wrestling, and welcome to another night of Monsters Brawl. Prepare yourselves as these grim and proper pugilists clash inside and outside the ropes in the name of blood, beasts, and brutality. The arena we find ourselves in here at Cruel Britannia Wrestling is a deep fighting pit. Sand and chalk scattered over a concrete foundation surrounded by heavy wooden walls. Above these wooden walls sit the lower classes, ringside seats, watching the scraps and scuffles that occur below. Above these, the upwardly mobile middle classes sit in more comfortable chairs to purvey the goings-on, and right at the top, in private boxes and sealed viewing balconies, the upper class of Victorian London gaze down as other men get their hands dirty for their entertainment. You see small grimy urchins scamper from level, level to level, from punter to punter, handing out copies of a periodical, a periodical entitled The Wrestling Onlooker. Today's headline, Weird Monsters Ruin Wrestling. And as people settle as best they can, uh, flick through the paper to see what the latest headlines, gossip and opinions on the wrestling scene are. The voice of the announcer calls out from a platform above the pit itself. Making their way to the ring, hailing from Scarborough, the hidden hunter, invisible man, Helsing. A single streetlight is in the pit and it illuminates fog as it rolls in, creating a blanket of, 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 of opaque uh, smog. People cough in the crowds, and then through the fog, almost made of the fog, cartwheels a naked man, and he just runs around <laughs> the pit doing like jumping jacks and going, oh, I'm invisible, oh, I'm invisible, you can't see me, and then he takes some bandages out and then kind of wraps them around his head, puts some sunglasses, a hat, and a coat on, and then you can see him. Making his way to the ring, hailing from the heart of Transylvania, Count Grapula. There is a flutter and screech of bats as a swarm of flying winged mammals speeds down the ramp, swirl in whirling circles above the pit, and then settle, forming the shape of a large, broad-shouldered, pale, handsome man with an aquiline nose and a widow's peak above his head, swings his arms out to show the uh, red velvet lining of a beautiful and black cape, 
and then swishes that cape over his nose and glares at the audience with piercing evil eyes. And I'll punch him in the back of the head. Uh, the <laughs> bell has not gone off yet. Does it matter? I'm a, uh, I'm a, I'm a hunter. Okay, I'm going to say yes. You can make a work roll. Um, you can make a work roll to do this, uh, but yeah, okay, just make a work roll. All right, it's minus one. That seems fair. Oh, bloody hell, it's nine. Nine. Okay. Fuck him, <laughs> you, twat him. Your human fist <laughs> swings around the back, and uh, as the fist of a mortal man hits the back of the skull of a superhumanly strong ancient being of evil, he stumbles a little. Some of his sinister grace knocked off balance. Come turns on, around, bastard. Turns around to look at you. Oh, so you think you can put me down for the count, Bell? I'm afraid I've got some bat news. Kick and, him in the dick. Uh, too late. At that point, he whoops dick. into a um, cloud of bats again and starts swarming around you. You feel these sort of bat wings flapping against your face, like little um, claws scratching your arms and legs. What are you doing? Fucking hell. Um, I'm going to try and uh, grab the bats and squeeze them till they pop. Okay, make a... Ooh, to try and grab bats out of the air, I'm going to say make a work roll again. All right, that's minus one. Uh, that is six. Six. Um, you managed to maybe get a grip of a couple of bats, but they are too slippery and leathery. They slide out of your hand, and you just find yourself more and more engulfed in these things as they bite through your clothes, bite through your bandages, like little bits of uh, blood start to uh, seep out and mark, mark, mark where your skin is um, from the inside of your coverings. Um, the swarm of bats moves away from you after giving you a sound biting and settles down, solidifies back into the figure of the Count. He puts one long talon finger to his lips and says, Did I do that? Uh, right. Well, uh, I'm not having much luck uh, in my visible form, so I'm going to have to pull out my uh, finishing move called You Can't See Me. I'm going to have to go invisible. I take off all my bandages and my coat, and my, my scarf, and my gloves, and my hat, um, and there I am, naked as the day I was born, which in prudish Victorian society renders me invisible, because they daren't look. So as soon as, your, as soon as your pasty form is revealed to the audience here at CBW, uh, a certain section of the audience, the more prudish types, especially on the upper levels, avert their eyes and turn away, not wishing to see this jiggly spectacle of manhood. I can make it go clockwise and counterclockwise. Um, the, yeah, you, you are able to take your clothes off um, without needing to roll. Uh, the Count just <laughs> stares at you incredulously, wondering what you're doing. Now that I'm invisible, I'm going to go for my signature move, which is uh, bad optics. I'm going to kick him in the dick. Um, okay, uh, this is just a signature move. It's a dick kick. I'm going to say that's probably that's probably real. That feels yeah, like plus a one dirty, for real. Feels like Have a dirty it. move in the spuds. Fucking hell, that's all right. That's four, four. Um, yeah, your your mortal leg kicks out, collides with a clang with a rock hard spuds of a superhumanly um, resilient being. Um, Dracula then looks down at you, smiles like a long like nasty looking smile, says, ah, 
don't make promises you can't keep. <laughs> Bears his fangs and then latches down your throat. And we're going to cut now quickly up to one of the upper levels of Cruel Britannia wrestling in a private box sitting in his usual seat where CBW's most acerbic critic is penning very displeased words onto his notepad. Uh, Luke, can you tell us who we see sitting up here? Uh, you see the man of Robert Scrood, um, who was once part of CBW, but now has decided to critique its work instead. And he looks down at his notes for Man Helsing versus Grapula that he will type up through Quill uh, later on for the wrestling onlooker. He looks at silly gimmicks, the kids can't work, swearing how childish. This is terrible. Bats, oh, do come on. This isn't getting over with the crowd. How are we supposed to see what he's doing? And he just shakes his head. How very droll. You hear a familiar voice on your left-hand side. I don't know what match you're watching, mate, but the crowd seems to love this. Oh, dear boy, you aren't, you're not hearing properly. This is oh. not an entertained crowd. This is not an entertained crowd at all. I think out of the two of us, mate, the one who isn't listening properly is you. For starters, don't you recognise the sound of your old friend? And you look to see the rough and ready, cheerful demeanour of Jacob Markley, your old tag team <laughs> partner. Jacob Markley? But it can't be. What on earth... What on earth is happening? Well, it's not that tough to decipher, mate. I'm haunting you, aren't I? There must be something bad. There must be something in these peanuts that they've been serving us. Everyone's gone downhill since the new management. No, there's, there's more of nuts than there is of ghost about you. I can reassure you, mate, I'm a little bit more than just a piece of bad cheese. And something definitely stinks here in the state of Denmark or, well, London, I guess. You know what stinks, Rob? Robbie, come so far in the world. You know what stinks? You do. Imagining things. How, how can I be haunted by that old tag partner? No, 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 there's something very much afish. You're right, there is something rotten. It's clearly in my, all in my head. I'm just going to go back to watching this silly little match now and you can get out of my brain or whatever it is you are. Apparition. By all means, watch, Robbie boy. By all means, take a good hard look. And as you look down in the ring, you see that despite the fact you've been speaking for about a minute now to this, this bit of undigested nut, as you think he is, uh, Dracula is still Grapula. Grapula. Who? <laughs> Grapula is still poised, um, fangs bared just above the neck of this invisible idiot, um, but hasn't hey. moved a muscle. <laughs> That's editorialising, and I won't stand for it. You're frozen in time, mate. Pipe down. <laughs> and yeah, no one is moving. And as you look closer at these two figures, the figure of the invisible man Helsing seems to change slightly, and you're no longer looking at a <laughs> naked nincompoop. Instead... Uh, you recognize a young man, a young man in the prime of his wrestling career on the mat against 
their arch rival, the company's champion, Pinhart Stonegold, a huge, meaty tank of a Scottish woman um, in a big golden tartan kilt, looming over this figure that you know to be yourself. These large, meaty mitts ready to lock up. Um, you look around and the audience um, are no longer the audience of today. They're the audience of 30 years ago. You know this match. You remember this match. I remember this match very well. It was the night that I won the championship. How could this, how could this possibly be? I must be, I must be exhausted making so many notes. This can't be happening. All those years ago, what did you do as Pinhart Stonegold lunged for you to lock up with these massive paws? Uh, ducked underneath uh, to then uh, do lock in one of my signature moves, the bar bum hug, which is a bear hug. You know, you trap them and you sort of like lock them into a sort of a submission type thing. Uh, I would say it's very work related. Um, I would say, yeah, tr try trying to slip under the legs feels worky. Um, so we'll get a work to slip under the legs. But if you want to bear hug a woman of that muscular capacity, that's going to be a power roll subsequent to that. Aha! Eight. Um, so eight on your work? Yes. Sorry. So yeah, you, you slide under as like a Scooby-Doo villain um, pinheart arms with a top, across the top of you and grab air. And then a power roll for that bear hug. Three. Okay, you can re-roll if you want to, or we can keep that. Yes, I will do. Yes, I, I'm going to re-roll because I'm preserving honor and tradition of wrestling using wrestling holds the way that they're meant to be done. Ooh, that's... Okay, fine. <laughs> That's not your best work. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that is seven. Seven. Um, that'll do it. Yeah, despite the fact you're a smaller man, you managed to get your arms around the torso of Pinhart Stonegold. And she wheezes out in pain as these very, very um, lean, wiry muscles squeeze her right in her abdomen. Uh, sort of big arms are sort of thrashing around trying to grab you trying to pry your hands off stomping around these big heavy feet wearing these sort of gold patent tartan boots what are you doing robert uh the, the aim is to uh, get get head down to the mats to lock in my finishing submission the 12 days of ouchmas which is uh, uh an indian death lock go for it so just straight 2d6 if this is your finisher the straight 2d6 It'll be a seven again. You just managed to do it. Take us through your finisher in this momentous occasion. Uh, so I said it's an Indian deathlock, but actually I've changed my mind. It's actually a figure four. So I loop the leg round, cross it into the four, and I fall onto my back, sitting up on my arms so as not to get pinned as a good wrestler would as my opponent uh, rides around in pain in this almost impossible to get out of hold. It's so expertly put in. Okay, yeah, she rides and stomps and bellows like a set of bagpipes. But finally, boom, 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 this huge fist pounds against the sand and concrete and the crowd lose their minds um, for the urchin underdog, Robert Scrooge, your winner and new CBW champion, Robert Scrooge. Everyone I did it all for you points to the crowd, holding the title aloft. This is all for you! Um, and as that title is held aloft, uh, the figure of a young Robert just pauses. We are back up in the box, with the present-day Robert observing the match. 
Looks like it went down just how you remember it, mate. But the past always yes. does, doesn't it? The past yes. never changes. It's clearly my memory is excellent of that day. How else would I have envisioned it ever so clearly in my perhaps drunken stupor? Perhaps that's what it is. Perhaps that's what it is that I'm remembering. I should be focusing on the actual match that's happening right now, not messing around with silly visions that I have in my head. Yeah, right. That's right, mate. I'm just a silly vision, just a little anomalous blip in your brain after a little bit too much excess from the wrong kind of success. Look, I'm going to make it very clear for you. Being dead is a pretty busy place. I'm kind of pulling the double shift right now, doing a gig as the ghost a wrestling past. And I'm going to warn you, because we're old friends, that tonight you will be visited by two more spirits. I suggest you pay them a little bit more heed than you pay your old pal Jacob. Right, bah. I've got another bah. one of these in about five minutes, halfway across the country, so see you in a bit. Taps his nose and a puff of chimney smoke disappears completely from the box. Bum hug. <laughs> um, and we are back now, as you look back down after this, uh, after this hallucination, I'm sure I wouldn't worry about it, mate, disappears. You cast your eyes back down to the ring and the figure of uh, Grapula starts moving over the top of the figure of Invisible Man Helsing, fangs bared, leaning in closer and closer to the throat, this huge black cape opening out wide, trying to engulf this um, unclothed, unintelligent... <laughs> Bear clapping right now, which is when you slap your scrotum against your taint. <laughs> I'm really invisible. It was a classy time. It was a classy time of, uh, time of history. Uh, what are you doing as these teeth close in ever so closer to your neck? I turn to Count Crapula and I say, I may appear like some dancing ninny, but you've done it now. You've gone and made a big mistake. And I pull a wooden stake from my butt and I shove it in his chest. Like that's a finisher if ever I saw one. That's a straight 2d6 roll, please, Helsing. That is an eight. Um, yeah, you thrust that stake straight out towards the chest of Count Grapula. This sort of look of superiority and evil intent and the kind of sort of smug arrogance, which is covered his expression for this entire fight, suddenly disappears as that piece of wood pierces his seemingly iron hard chest, goes through his skin and bone to his old shriveled heart and pierces that. There is a, <coughs> a cough. His eyes go wide and even more bloodshot for a moment as he looks at you. You've undead all my work. And then poof, disappears into ashes. <laughs> Your winner, the hidden hunter, invisible man, Helsing. And the crowd go wild. Uh, Pick up Yay. my clothes. I wrap myself around with bandages, which takes ages. Uh, put my hat on and a scarf. And there I am, a complete gentleman once again. And with all the dignity I can muster, I walk solemnly out of the pit. The Terrible. Minus two stars. As the Invisible Man Helsing leaves the pit and the ashes of Count Grapula dissipate into the night air, 
There is a, a low but powerful rumble from the night sky as thick, dark storm clouds start to gather above the arena of Cruel Britannia Wrestling. And we cast our eyes up now, up above the different layers of um, socially separated audience, up above the arena itself into the sky, up amongst these ever darkening storm clouds. And we find ourselves now looking at the handsome face of a daredevil aeronautics expert riding a ghost gray hot air balloon up, up into the sky. The lifeless, lightless um, metal box of chips interdimensional device sitting in the basket as the clouds gather and the thunder rumbles and rain starts to pour. Oh, God damn it, Danger Zone. We've had our adventure in the high school. Now we've been here for, what, years? It's been years in this Victorian horror dimension, and we need some science. We need some more science again to restart ship's device that got us here in the first place. Maybe next time's going to be the time I get back home, back to my real home, where Judy Lovely is. Uh, but until then, I guess we're just going to have to find some more science down there, hither, down um, there in the pits. The, the clouds gather and rumble. You see far, far off in the distance a flash of lightning. Um, and as that lightning flashes, the briefest, tiniest, smallest little spark of light blinks into the blue core of Chip's device before disappearing. As the wind starts to buffet the basket back and forth and the rain starts to pound down on your face. Danger zone. I think something about this loud noise is giving the box life. I think it's the thunder. <laughs> Just like my name, it's poetic. <laughs> the, Let's uh, go forward into the storm. <laughs> okay. As you, as, you, as you pull down on that arm, pull down that cord, and uh, hot flame shoots up uh, into the balloon of this uh, ghost gray dirigible, sending it higher and higher into the clouds. I'm gonna need a look roll from you to uh, successfully pilot uh, this thing deeper. A look roll from the best pilot in the galaxy, slash time zone. Oh, it's a 10. Nice, yeah, you properly pull down hard on that cord. It, you know, a really powerful jet of flame just causes this, this brilliantly designed, um, almost too modern for its period, um, hot air balloon to go higher and higher and higher. The, the roar of the flame is almost a response to the call of your let's go. You pass through uh, layers of sort of white and gray cloud and reach, reach a point now where the clouds are sort of almost jet black and obscure all vision. Um, and you hear a kind of chittering coming from up here. This, based on the research you've done into Victorian science, this might be the highest anyone has ever gone. And there is this, this sort of this chittering and bubbling coming from deep within these clouds as another bolt of lightning crackow, um, goes off a little closer this time. And as it does, the little uh, bit of color inside Chip's device shines even brighter for a moment before disappearing. The louder the noise danger zone, the more the light flashes in the box. Follow the noise. The noise is the source of all the power we need to get back home. And also there's that weird bubbling thing as well. Let's check that out. I'm gonna swing it, swing the hot air balloon, do a, do a really cool airplane turn with it. Okay, give me a look on that airplane turn. 10 again. 10, beautiful, beautiful piece of um, aeronautic piloting. As you swing around in the direction of the most recent um, boom of sound, which is definitely the problem, definitely the solution to your problem. 
uh, a long, thick tendril, uh, wet with rain, covered in suckers and peculiar shaped claws, squirms out from under the thicker crowds and then lashes straight towards the balloon, sort of as its suckers open up, these little blades pop out from the center, these little kind of beaks almost, lashes towards the dirigible you're inside. What are you doing? Quick evasive action danger zone. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to do a 360 spin with the hot air balloon. <laughs> um, that's a look, Rolf. Yep. Wouldn't that put you exactly where you... you where no, no, no. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's height-wise. Oh, right. So not, not just turning round. What <laughs> an idiot. Oh, it's a five. <laughs> um, the, um, you have your rerolls, or we can keep going. Uh, let's, let's, let's play this one out. Cool. The, uh, the tentacle um, swirls around and wraps itself around the thick cord that binds the balloon to the basket, um, pulling it tight and kind of grip. Um, the balloon still maintains its kind of upright position and you're just not fast enough to get the maneuver to go, and you, you feel yourself, well, you feel the balloon being pulled through the sky closer and closer to these clouds. Like, as you get closer to the cloud, and another louder crackoom, a bolt of lightning shoots down even closer this time, and the blue beam of light inside Chip's box gets even brighter and lasts even longer before disappearing into nothing. Another tentacle, and another, another, until eight thick, heavy, almost gelatinous um, things just squirm their way out of the clouds around you and start to converge onto the machine itself. The clouds part again and a huge beaked maw lined with what must be hundreds of teeth dripping some kind of viscous gelatinous goop. Snarl at you in a hiss that matches the sound of the rainfall itself. What are you doing? Uh, I start judo chopping all of the, uh, the tentacles that have attached itself to the hot air balloon. <laughs> Okay, so a straightforward judo chop feels like that's just force. That's a power move. Not work? Okay. Um, well, the if, power... If, you, if you want to try and black work, if you want to try and talk me into work, my ears are open. Well, because uh, one of the many things that Rick learned how to do at school, in the pilot school, was a extracurricular class on judo. And he learned all the judo there. So I'm going to help you out here because I'm in a nice mood. Are you saying like the precision of a judo chop to a pressure point is like a work yes. roll, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's, it's, not, it's just not a chop. It's a judo chop. It's targeted. You just look so dapper, man. I can't say no to you. Go for it. With work, it's eight. Ooh, lucky. Yes. Like, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but my, mine was through those chops is with each judo chop. Um, another tentacle gets bashed. There's a screech from the creature as it whips away from the part of the balloon it was holding. Um, another one goes, another one goes, until now you're just staring straight into the mouth of this moor. The, the tentacles have released your balloon. It is now free-floating, but there is almost like a gravitational pull sucking you closer to this jaw. Another bolt of lightning comes even closer now. Crack out, right, probably a meter away from the side of this hot air balloon. Another one, kakoom, that the lightning almost seems to be centered and based around this thing in the clouds now. And with every closer bolt and every brighter bolt, that light in Chip's device lasts longer and shines brighter, almost blinding you with its blue beam. The, the thunder is getting more intense the closer I'm getting to the monster. The monster, you said, is pulling me in with some kind of gravitational strength anyway. And I've got something to outrun in this dimension. I don't know how much longer I can take it here. So I'm going full throttle into the mouth of the beast. That is a look roll, Richard. The nine. 
<gasps> you pull down on this chord once again. The flames roar in response to your inspirational self-speech and the hot air balloon just whooshes towards this um, giant toothy moor at breakneck speed. <laughs> You're going for a judo chop? <laughs> as, as it's going into the, the beak, I'm going to judo chop. Okay, so this big, <laughs> thick tongue comes out and tries to like wrap itself around you to pull you out of the, um, to pull you out of the machine. Um, give me a work roll for your judo chop. You didn't need to do that, <laughs> but go for it. A 10. Yes, you judo chop that tongue. Wapow! And it disappears back inside the mouth. And then, just as you are surrounded on all sides by this eldritch mass of evil, inconceivable, extra-stellar flesh. The loudest, loudest boom of thunder you've heard so far coincides exactly with a massive bolt of lightning shoots straight through the jaw of this creature. It explodes in a shower of inconceivable goop, and the bolt of lightning goes straight down directly into Chip's device. The blue light, boom, bursts into light. There is a crackle and a hum and the clouds part as a portal opens in the sky. A portal looking out onto a familiar garden where a beautiful young woman is hanging out her washing. She doesn't see you. And as the clouds part and the figure of Julie Lovely back in your own dimension solidifies, you, do you see someone approaching the house, the front gate? And then the clouds part even more and moonlight beams down on you and then all you can see as you're illuminated by this celestial glow is a red haze of rage and you black out. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Do you like quizzes? 
Do you like wrestling? Do you like watching self-professed experts in their fields being exposed as dangerous frauds? Then you'll love Quizzlemania, brought to you by Parts Funknown, the team behind acclaimed wrestling RPG No Rolls Barred. Join us every week as four wrestling pundits pit their knowledge against each other in a cerebral wrangle for prizes, glory, and a bit of good old-fashioned escapism. Enjoy the videos live every Wednesday on Parts Funknown's YouTube channel, or subscribe right now to have them beam straight to your mobile device. Quizzlemania, it's the showcase of the Immorons. find ourselves back once again in the pit, the arena of Cruel Britannia Wrestling. Making their way to the ring, hailing from the Tower of London, the avian assassin, the Raven. There is a gentle rapping on the door to the pit. Subtle tapping that gets louder. And it keeps going until it becomes thuds, thud after thud after thud, and the door flies off its hinges as hundreds of ravens swarm through the arena. Um, they, fill, they fly around the ring, they obscure completely the center of the ring, and as they part, standing in the center of the ring in um, dapper Victorian gear, feathered sort of scarf wrapped around his neck, a mask that seems to be made of some sort of skull that has been modified to look like a bird is the raven. There is a hushed, almost fearful silence from the audience as they watch this sinister figure, clearly a being of great intelligence and design, making their way to the ring, hailing from Baker Street, London, <laughs> Detective Cyril Bellum. No fanfare, no fanciness, just a very well-dressed man in a deerstalker cap, smoking a pipe, wearing a thick greatcoat, paces his way down the ramp into the centre of the ring, looks across where the raven is, his face almost expressionless, his eyes narrowed slightly, the pupils and irises just darting left and right in almost imperceptible movements as a great brain processes what he's looking at. Hmm. Very well then. Ding, 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 ding. I pull a knife and I go to stab him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well that's a real roll. Fuck. This is the kind of shit. Uh, that's 11. That's <laughs> 11. Oh, shit. <laughs> what, what, what part of the body are you trying to stab, mate? I'm going straight for the gut. Straight for the gut. I want this to be horrible. Okay. I'm um, so proud. What does your knife look like? Um, it's kind of, uh, the handle is, uh, gilded in gold and, uh, the sort of pobble, uh, where it connects to the blade is the claw of a bird and it reaches out into this sort of hooked talon almost. So it slides in sideways almost. And then I twist, pull it back out. <coughs> he looks down at the 
<laughs> nasty, neat, clean wound in his gut. Puts a hand over the hole you just made. His blood seeps out between his fingers. Puts another hand, applies pressure. That composure's instantly gone from his face as he looks up into these, the, the eyes of a monster. Um, <gasps> this isn't the first time I've been stabbed by some ruffian in a back alley. <sighs> well, and he goes for one of his signature moves, a study in scarlet as he rubs as much blood as he can in his hands and then smears it across your mask and face mm. in an attempt to blind you. Um, what are you doing? I think I'm going to attempt to uh, drop down out of the way of that and then go for a move uh, I'm calling two stones, one bird. And I'm going to pop back up holding two stones in, one, in either hand and bell clap them around his head. <laughs> okay. Um, so let's get a let's get a work roll to avoid that that blinding first yeah. uh five five unfortunately no like the um the blood smears itself across your eyes your vision is obscured your beautiful um white mask is sullied um i'll still let you make the roll to try actually no that was a failed roll um seeing he has an opening holmes man i keep I keep infringing on what is essentially public domain characters, but still, <laughs> Bellum, Detective Bellum, um, uh, sees that you're slightly um, dazed, sees that you can't quite see what's happening. Putting both hands over his stomach, holding in the, uh, the wound as much as he can, he squats down and goes for a standing super kick. Uh, the game's afoot, he says, and then kicks you square in the face um, and knocks you back onto your back. Uh, sort of a hairline crack now appears in your beautiful mask. Thought he, you could catch me. Bellum, but I'm the one who's caught you. And as he comes closer, I'm going to try and rip my hands into the wound I've already made. That's a real roll. Uh, that is a seven. Uh, that'll do it. Um, yeah, it's taken most of his strength to muster up that, that last ditch kick. And he just doesn't have the, doesn't have the strength of his muscles left to stop your hand from going deeper into his stomach. Do you want to tell us how you open that wound? Uh, yeah, I just claw my hands up and they go in sideways because I've sort of jabbed him in the side. I just clutch at the side of his body and I just pull as hard as I can across the front of him. Look how happy Lolo is. I'm so happy right now. Um, he wheezes. He tries to get some kind of pithy remark out, but he can't. And as the wound opens, he drops to his knees. One hand still vainly trying to hold onto the wound. The other bloodstained making a red handprint on the sand of the arena. He looks up at you. It's not over yet, monster. Releasing his hand from his stomach, bits of viscera falling out of the wound as he does this. He leaps up to both, leaps up to his full height and puts his hands around the top of your head and then starts trying to pull you down onto the ground. I'm going to need a power roll from you. Uh, that is a three. The problem with you flashy types, you never look out for concrete evidence and then cracks your mask against the ground. That hairline fracture opens up, damaging it even more. Um, but the wound you've dealt to him was so brutal. That's pretty much the last of his energy. And like, as you're lying prone, he's now just on his knees, wheezing more, more bits of gut just dangling out of the hole. There's... There's almost no energy left in this man by this point. Uh, 
Number 11, you put up a fight, but it's over now. And I go for uh, a move I'm calling, suddenly there came a tapping, uh, and it's a crossface raven wing. Uh, I spin on the spot, go, ca-ca, and then I lock in one of his arms behind his back and sh basically strangle him. Uh, that is a, that's a straight 2d6 roll. That is a nine. Um, Okay. Yeah, you lock in exactly as you describe. Um, he wheezes and coughs, his eyes bulge, his tongue kind of lolls out. <sighs> they, people sort of roll into the back of his head and after a, a prolonged period of this man just trying to hang on for the last minute, he passes out and dies. As soon as he does, a sharp pain shoots through your brain. Like you blink and you find yourself no longer sitting uh, in the arena of Cruel Britannia wrestling, choking out a detective. You're now on your knees in a different kind of muddy pit. Nothing is on your body except a heavy loincloth around your groin. Uh, your muscles are broad and thick and heavy. Your body is covered in hair. Like your brow is low and sloping. Um, and another thick set, um, primitive man uh, is in your grip, um, eyes rolling into the back of his head, the life leaving his body, as a prehistoric sun sets on this act of ancient murder. And then vision fades, and you are back in the CBW arena. Your winner, the avian assassin, the raven. Um, hug. I am, um, before I leave, I take my knife and I carve the sign of Aquarius just onto the knee, just sorry, onto the thigh flesh of Bellum. And as you leave and go up the ramp into the backstage area, a flight of black birds fly in from outside the arena and settle down next to the corpse start picking at it with their beaks as one of the stagehands has to shoo them away and remove the latest body in what is a sea of bodies in CBW. Back up in his private box, this whole match has been watched by a very disapproving Robert Scrooge. Relying on blood and guts, that's mm. not good shit. Using weapons to avoid actual work. Cyril Bellum tried to do a bit of wrestling moves, but unfortunately we had more blood and guts and a sleeper for the win, minus three stars, I'm afraid. More terrible, terrible wrestling. Well, a thick Scots voice says from to your right, if you didn't like the blood and guts and listen, you're not going to think very much of the next match. Making her way to the ring, hailing from Chiswick, London. The sociopathic socialite, Demonique de Composé. <laughs> um, so I just, um, I'm just talking to a group of very, very busy women having tea. I'm just like, excuse me, excuse me. I get up from the table and I make my way to the ring. And as I'm going, I'm picking up the crochet that I was doing earlier, finishing it off, putting it down as I'm going through. I'm shying the silverware, talking to various um servants that I do have, making sure that everything's ready for this evening or whatever I've got going on, tasting the dessert, of course, and moving my way just delicately and lovely 
into the ring and to stand there as graceful as ever. Making her way to the ring, hailing from the British Museum, but let's face it, we stole it. We full on stole it. <laughs> the fairest <laughs> of them all, Sarcophagus. Uh, about three heavy set people in white coats, uh, wearing sort of white gloves, masks, and um, old timey goggles, start wheeling down a huge, ornate sarcophagus on a dolly down the ramp and into the stage. It's, it's lashed on all sides with thick, heavy rope. There is a museum worker holding onto each one. Uh, as it gets to the center of the ring, they pause, look at each other, silently count one, two, three, then pull the ropes and just run full tilt back up the ramp as fast as they can. Like as these cords drop to the ground, there is a, a stone groan as the door of this sarcophagus opens and a, the stench of thousands of years wafts out of this coffin and into your nostrils. There's nothing but a black cavernous cavity inside it for a moment and then you hear a sort of slap, slap and out lumbers a tall, lean, loping, mal-shaped figure covered head to toe in bandages. All you can see beyond the bandages themselves are two pitch black eyes and where the bandages are separated around the mouth a long purple bifurcated tongue and about three teeth. You just hear a <sighs> as a powerful stench and a few bugs just fly out of the center of the mouth. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, oh. Well, hello. I don't believe we've met before. Is it Jess? Jess, Jess. Oh, it's so lovely to have you here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And I'm just going to just try and welcome them as if it was my wonderful ring and my wonderful home to make them feel as comfortable as possible. And I'm just going to bring out a little perfume bottle and just <laughs> some lavender oil just around. You know, I like to welcome everyone, but you've brought something with you. Okay, so I'm not going to ask you to roll to spray a little perfume bottle. That seems a pretty straightforward thing to do. However, in response to these uh, beautiful fragrant scents you are disseminating, uh, Sarcophagus's jaw just dislocates to a point it's now hanging about what? five inches below her <gasps> cheeks. Marvellous! <laughs> and a swarm of locusts just pour out of her mouth and start surrounding you and stinging <gasps> you. I'm going to need a power roll to withstand, the <laughs> withstand this Egyptian plague. Uh, that is minus one, eight. Eight, that is enough. You are hardy enough to take it. Um, <laughs> oh, after sort of swarming around you for about uh, maybe 10, 20 seconds, they dissipate and then just fly off into the sky. Oh, oh, what a marvelous parlor trick. That's absolutely phenomenal. Would you like to see mine? <sighs> so funny. All right, I'll just bear with me one second. Ooh. Oh, oh. <clears throat> oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, make a look roll, please, Lo. <laughs> Holy oh. hell. 
a stream of green acidic vomit <laughs> just pours out of your mouth in a torrent, like melting back the bandages, or melting back the rotten flesh of sarcophagus. I'm causing this sort of tall figure to slap a awkward foot back one, two, three paces until they're basically in front of their sarcophagus again right now. Um, most of the bandage has left their body. A hand just full on falls off as the only thing keeping it on, a little bit of tendon and bone just sizzles through this acidic spew you've chucked in its direction. Um, the remaining hand of sarcophagus goes to touch an ankh hung over her clavicle. Um, she goes to one of her signature moves, the crypto current, and as she squeezes it, um, a crackle of electricity um, disseminates from the ank itself and shoots towards you. <clears throat> well, obviously, I'm super, super fast, so I'm going to move out of the way and I want to kind of dodge. <laughs> Just going to run really fast like an absolute <laughs> lunatic I am. That's a work roll. <laughs> Yay. Oh, my dice are so gross. <laughs> Have they got sick on them? They've got a lot of sick on them. So that you say that was a look. No? A look, uh, work roll to dodge. Work roll. Minus, oh, seven. Just about, yeah, as these, as these sort of bolts of arcane energy crackle in front of you, you dodge out of the way. And where are you dodging to? I'm dodging all the way to the ropes because I want to bounce off of them to do my next move. Um, okay, what's your next move? I want to run really fast, break off their ribs and then stab them with it. That's a real roll. <laughs> That's minus one, seven. Like, like grease lightning, you slip around, grab these ribs, tear them easily out of this decomposing body. And where are you plunging them into? Um, oh, one, I'm going to go, so I'm at their side, one in the back, one in the front, and then just want to grind them up and down. Okay, um, yeah, you successfully grind them up and down with those two ribs, um, forcing the, the body of sarcophagus, or what is left of sarcophagus's body, as like more bits of torso slough off with every grind and turn, um, back further, further into... Um, the open sarcophagus, making one last ditch effort um, with whatever bandage that she has remaining on her body. Uh, sarcophagus goes for a finishing move, the wrap god, and tendrils of bandages swarm out from her hands and start to wrap around you to try to mummify you where you stand. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Cool. So I'm just going to run really fast again away from them. <laughs> okay. Effective yeah. but not flashy. Um, yeah, make a work yeah. roll. To, make a work roll to try and avoid those bandages. Works at zero. Eight. Eight. Yeah, that'll do it. There's just not enough bandage left, considering how much you burnt away with your um, acidic vomit, and the, they sort of futilely flutter up onto the ground. I'm gonna fall on Emily Rose, climb up the wall like some sexy gecko, and just go all the way up, get to the side, rotate the head, whole. Um, 360 just for good measure and then launch myself down and just rip off their head. Uh, so straight 2d6. Okay. Oh, seven. Tell us how you tear that head off. Mm. Um, okay. When, <laughs> it's so tasty. Mm, so um, I would take their head off. So from the like wonderful corner of the room, turn head round round. And then launch myself down, feet on either shoulder and like full on like squatting over them. And like that kind of really animalistic, like 
and then just digging my whole hand into their skull and then just ripping it off and then throwing it into the audience. Uh, beautiful work. Thank you. A, a, a regular from the, uh, the, the middle class tier catches it. Definitely. And he's going to hang on to that for a long time. Your winner, the sociopathic socialite, <laughs> Demonique Decomposé. And now, as you as you wave a polite thanks to your audience, we rejoin um, Screwed back in his upper box. As um, well, quite a match here, quite an entertaining match. And as you turn to your left, you see a familiar figure once again: the broad, muscled body of Pincart Pinhart Stonegold, sitting next to you, reclining on a seat, big, heavy feet, uh, resting on the edge of the balcony. What a match! What? What, what on earth are you doing here? Working. Working, mate. What are you doing here? I'm doing what I'm always doing. Telling these people what real wrestling is all about. Not this silly blood and guts nonsense, despite the chance of sec sexy gecko down there from that group of people. It's just all... There's no psychology. Where's the psychology in all of this wrestling? Just psychotic is what it is. Tell me, Robert, what is real wrestling? Real wrestling is what you and I did. We would go out there and show these fine people and even those poor ones down there what real wrestling is all about. The technique, the sport, the theatrics of it all. Not this spooky Halloween hullabaloo. The word you need to focus on there, mate, is did. Aye, that's the wrestling we did, but people don't do that anymore. That's a damn I need shame. To make, I need to make this quick, because I'll be honest with you. The uh, ghost of wrestling present gig doesn't appear that well, but you need to think... You're not a long. ghost. Well, if I wasn't, could I do this? And she spins her head 360 degrees around and winks at you. Something not quite right. It's definitely these peanuts. Definitely these peanuts. Perhaps some of the cheese, the beef that I had earlier. Nothing quite right about all of this. Oh, my friend, you really need to stop blaming cheese for all your problems. Look, it seems to me like you need to have a long, hard think about this. Look. Look at the fans and you see people cheering and cheering. You see the guy who caught the severed head of Sarcophagus showing it off. Look, they love this stuff. They're having a great time. They're, they're invested in these things. I think the only one up here who doesn't really understand what good wrestling is. Well, I'm sure you can fill in the blanks. Ooh, she says and then disappears in a puff of tartan and a honk of backpipe sick of the it's me not knowing what she is who do any of these people think that they are fools I shall write up days on looker tell these people what the actual wrestling is real wrestling actually is ghosts we now go back down into the pit, Bum back hug. up the ramp. Bum hug. Back up the ramp. Bum hug. Bum hug. 
Let's get on the T-shirt. <laughs> back up the ramp, back backstage to a another uh, balcony of sorts that overlooks the city of London. And sitting behind a stone desk, penning something, we see the feathered figure of the raven. Uh, the raven's just hunched over, quill in hand, uh, freshly plucked from the back of a fellow raven, um, and writes, from the chamber, dear boss, I send an eye I tore from Taurus, my knife had left his body porous, pricked and pouring vital blood all across my chamber floor. He joined the likes of Gemini, the first of them to ever die. Eleven families I've left to cry, cry and cry forevermore. For earlier I spilled Aquarius, and now I hunt a Sagittarius. Tracked and traced down to this place where I'll stuff them like a boar. And while they lie there all a-squealing, a sound I find really quite appealing. For its life force I have been stealing, healing my tattered and broken core. Once I complete this, my zodiac, there shall be no going back to the quiet and cobbled streets I used to walk before. Merrily, I quoth the raven, for my soul he is a saving. Guide me further unto haven, saving me forevermore. And he signs it, a ghost grim and ancient raven. AKA Saucy Nev. <laughs> and as you sign the bottom of that letter, the birds fluttering around you start to caw and flap their wings. And as you look up into the night sky, it seems the constellation Sagittarius shines a little brighter than usual. The birds take wing, flutter up high into the sky, swoop down back into the corridor, and you see them settle gently at the doorstep of a dressing room, written in chalk on the door, hastily and scruffily, the hidden hunter, invisible man, Helsing. One last room, one last part of backstage here at CBW. A sweating, exhausted Richard Thunder wakes up <sighs> in a cage, his clothes torn to almost nothing his body covered in scratches and lacerations, heavy iron bars in front of him, a bed of straw on a wooden frame below him, a well-dressed dapper man covered in feathers and scales and hides of all kinds, walks up into the light and looks you straight in the eye. Well, it seems someone is awake. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Dr. Yiff, and this is my marvellous, monstrous menagerie. And he gestures a flamboyant handout, as you see um, three or four other cages on wheels, um, each with some kind of an anthropomorphic shambling beast of some kind inside. There are names written over the top of them. The Apes of Wrath, Handsome Crab, Snapmare, Ooh, you'll make a fine addition 
to my collection as he looks up at where the sign above your cage must be. And it looks like you're right on time. And as he says that, he looks up into the sky and the clouds part once again and show a bright full moon. And as its beams streak through the sky, through no. the bars on your cage, no. into your enclosure, you feel a change coming. <gasps> Danger bone! <laughs> <laughs> Danger boner. (laughs) (laughs) And that's all for this time on CBW. We will see you next time. So, Tom, obviously, um, I think horror was something we were both looking to get right because horror is sort of one of the defining kind of traits of our friendship, really. Um, we've known each other for a very long time. And like the earliest memories of our friendship that I have are going to Blockbuster Video uh, and trying to get like three terrible horror DVDs for a fiver, uh, going back to one of our houses and just kind of uh, blitzing through them all. Uh, so obviously horror was, uh, was very important for us to, uh, to make uh, memorable. Yes, we've definitely consumed a significant to unnecessary amount of horror in our adolescence. Uh, but that's what was interesting about this setting, is when we were first banding around the idea of doing a horror episode, based on a suggestion, I think, actually, from one of the YouTube comments, we thought, okay, well, we need to find a way to narrow it down so it's not too broad, because horror is such a massive genre, um, that we figured, okay, well, we're going to do the Universal Studios classic monster movie monsters. And that was always our intention going into the horror episode if the vote ever fell in the favor of horror. But um, as you remember from last week, we well, last month, we ended up on a tiebreaker between horror and high school and a sudden death led to high school winning. But things went a little differently this time, right? Yeah, well, we decided like instead of, because we wanted to do Universal uh, Monsters sort of anyway, um, I think pretty much no, like, Laurie's been wanting to do Victorian forever. Uh, and if you, you know, obviously, if you've just heard this episode, you've probably got some idea of why. Uh, it's a fantastic character, is, is the Raven. Uh, obviously, I think we've all been pining to do horror. So I just think that neither, like, none of us wanted to wait <laughs> an extra month to do uh, one of these genres. So we just decided, screw it. We're going to go with Victorian horror. Uh, that only really kind of eliminates two um, of the uh, of the Universal monsters, um, Frankenstein and the Mummy. Although you could argue that the Mummy is Victorian England. Actually, yeah, the creature the creature from the Black Lagoon is eliminated because he was very much, uh, I think, a forties monster. But yeah, the Mummy. Well, the Mummy. Um, we're at the really end of the first half, aren't we? So yeah, the Mummy doesn't make an appearance. Uh, the Victorian era's fascination with oh, yeah. the esoteric Orient. Um, they were they were obsessed with weird things from overseas and stealing them um, yes. from possessions of the British public. Ours now. Uh, that's some um, classic classic Brits. Classic <laughs> Brits. Uh, so we decided, yes, sort of. We'll combine the genres. We'll create Victorian horror, uh, and yeah, everyone was pumped uh, about this one. Um, 
it was uh, yeah, I yeah I really really enjoyed it um I, I obviously when you look back um because we are uh you know without spoilers we are maybe coming towards some sort of a close of our uh, our first season uh of like one shots this kind of um not filler um what we've what we've done to kind of uh keep the no rolls barred uh lights on uh before we get a chance to get to season two we're coming to a little bit of an end of the, these first batch uh and you can sort of see from uh, future how the kind of costuming and the uh world building are sort of built and built and built uh to the point where laurie is <laughs> I mean the uh, yes the I mean there's production values from from everyone uh, pretty much um, everyone I think is doing some of their uh, most ostentatious work it's um, it's genuinely like so it's so much fun to see um, everyone kind of like operating at kind of a hundred percent capacity everyone seems to have a fire under them with this uh, with this theme which is really exciting to see yes it's also nice as you were saying um to see how to see how the 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 characteristics of individual players have started to become clear through these one shots like we have had a um there there are certain things that you can more or less rely that luke will now do every one shot um there are things you can more or less rely on laurie like laurie laurie will always have a killer um promo planned in there somewhere and luke will always luke will always do luke um he's he's maybe one of the most um <laughs> The most Meisner-esque, I think, of our cast. Luke does sort of disappear into a role quite a lot. And you can always count on Lolo to try and grace everybody up. Yes. Yes. Uh, extra extra production values from Lolo Brow uh, this time around. Um, <laughs> there was a point, I think it was in this, yeah, it was in this week's where uh, I think it was Ollie asking, or maybe it's next week's, I'm not sure. Uh, was it this week's where Ollie asked actually what was the the vomit made of? I think uh, at some point he asked for clarification. Yes. Yeah, um, and Lolo just responds, "Oh no, that's actual. You know, I found it in the t- I found it in the bathroom." And Ollie's like, "What?" And he's just like, "It's pea soup, Ollie." <laughs> like, Lolo's gross, but she's not poisonous. Well, that's the that's what's excellent. I think about Lolo's commitment to or commitment to brand at least is that. If just for the briefest moment, Laurie actually entertained the idea she had really taken real vomit, then that's a victory for Low. I used yeah. to try and do this with people when I, I used to work um, in retail many, many years ago. And one of the things I did for fun was try to convince my coworkers that Bruce Springsteen could fly um, just using the power of his mind. And I would never convince anybody that it was actually true. But if I could just get them to entertain the thought for the briefest second, I consider that a win. And I feel that's what happened with Lolo and uh yeah, her cafe vomit. Um, I can't remember. I think we were in Germany for WCPW. Um, <laughs> it's really, really dumb. It's such a stupid prank. So we were, um, yeah, we were wandering around. And we were all of us staying together uh, in this hotel, all of the crew, you know, me, Cleary, um, Pachiti, all the gang. Uh, and for some reason, I'm not sure why, but um, there was like a news program happening in the background and um someone like arrived late to the table like we were watching it it was about some sort of like space thing um you know just like oh new pictures of mars from a from a rover that's pretty cool anyway the guy um 
someone arrived uh, a little bit later to the group and asked, oh, what was that? And someone just said, oh, they found life on Mars. Uh, and for some, and he was just like, what, really? And for some reason, literally everyone in the group was like, yeah, no, it's amazing. Um, and then he was like, oh my God, that's incredible. Like, oh, I've been waiting for this day. And he went onto the BBC News website. And he was like, I can't see anything about it. And then another person in the group being like, that's weird. I was just literally reading the article on the BBC News website and it's been taken down. Why would someone take down an article about there being life on Mars? And then just over the course of the evening, it just kind of built into this huge conspiracy. And we went out drinking and it got to a point where he was in a bar just going up to people and telling them that they discovered life on Mars and um, trying to get people, you know, to be like, can you believe it? But there's this, there's this conspiracy at work. It was, uh, that was fun. Very, very non-related to No Rolls Bard, of course. But, but very true of very true of human nature. I think we've all been in situations like that where someone is trying to prank someone or pull the wool over someone's eyes, and just the entire group instantly gets what's going on and falls in lockstep mm. without needing to say a word. Yeah. That's a very um, and this, that's that's a little bit like um, that's a little bit like the skill. And in, in an attempt to tie this back, that's a bit like the skill a wrestler rings in the needs in the ring, where they need to be able to pick up instantly what someone is trying to do or what someone is trying to go for, and without giving away any suggestion, they've communicated it. Yeah, um, subconscious signals. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, let's let's close off uh, uh, talking about this one in the first half um, by simply saying, um, obviously, we've seen a lot. We've seen the Invisible Man. We've seen Dracula. Uh, we've seen um, sort of Edgar Allan Poe serial killer. So there's a combination of like Poe and the Ripper. Um, uh, Richard Thunder uh, with Dangerbone is, of course, uh, the werewolf. Were there any uh, Victorian horror elements that you were kind of sad didn't make it into? Because I think it's like one of the things I do like about present being presented with a genre, and it's something I really like about kind of uh, your world building and like generally like, because you always come uh, approach an episode with a sort of thesis statement of like all of the genre is here trying to touch like every kind of cornerstone every trope or at least in cat or at least um come up with some sort of statement on the genre like uh, to be told via wrestling um were there any elements that you were you were sad and didn't, didn't quite make the uh the light of day i don't think so i think we hit all the really big touchstones it's, it's an interesting point you just made there too is it's very much for me almost as much about the other way around that i try to use the genre to make a, some kind of statement about wrestling. Oh, yes. Um, so I, I won't go into too much detail because we've only just um, seen episode one of this one shot. But no, I think I'm pretty pleased with um, the stuff because generally, you know, players will pick the, the trope they want to go for. And I'll try and I'll, I'll look through my brain about what really iconic aspects of that genre are missing and see if there's a way for them to make sense to be inserted into sort of NPC fights. But yeah, we even managed to get an element of uh, 1920s Lovecraftian mythos in, in the form of um, Richard Thunder's Battle in the Sky, which is in fact inspired by a lesser known Arthur Conan Doyle story called The Horror in the Heights, about a guy who travels up in a biplane to the atmospheric limits of the planet and encounters tentacles and stuff. So I think, yeah, I think I'm pretty pleased uh, in terms of all the big cornerstones are mostly touched upon by the players. And as usual, um, the stuff that was missing just made sense as things to pit against the players in their NPW matches. Fantastic. Well, uh, we hope that you listening to this uh, enjoyed episode one. Um, um, come back next week for part two as we gear up 
towards our sort of grand finale for now. Uh, so yeah, we'll be back here uh, on wherever you get your podcasts, uh, talking about the uh, second half of uh, Cruel Britannia Wrestling. We'll see you then. Bye, everybody. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.